Good evening. Well, it feels like summer is among us, right? It's gotten warm. We are in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 14 and read through the end of the chapter. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we do pray that the power of these words would empower our lives here tonight. Lord, give me clarity just in the things that um, I'll be sharing, and I pray that they would be useful, Father, in how we live our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul here is talking about both power and love. And the love of power has probably laid waste continents and empires. The power of love has driven weak people to do powerful things and not infrequently powerful people to do foolish things. But these are the forces that shape our lives, our homes, our countries, the policies that we enact. They're the forces that shape the world. And these are the themes that are running through this prayer that Paul is praying. And it's interesting that that's what he's doing here, is he's praying. It's not that it's not filled with, you know, doctrine and information, but really it's a prayer. And what an amazing thing that Paul is praying, but it almost sounds like he's, preaching. And sometimes it's hard to tell when he stops praying and when he starts preaching, but he said, amen. So I guess he stopped there. But it's almost as if there is an awareness of the presence of God and taking every moment in his life and making it something that is sacred. And so that it's not something that has to, you know, look a certain way, but it has to grasp, grasp his life a certain way. He has to be aware of the reality of God, whether he's speaking, whether he's praying, whether he's teaching. It, it, it's as if his whole life is encompassed by the awareness of who God is. And 
as these themes are running through the prayer, Paul prays for these young Christians that he's writing for, praying that in this letter that they would understand some important important things. And, you know, people sometimes say that in a letter like Ephesians, the first half is doctrine and the second half is ethics. Half of the letter on what to believe, the other half on how to behave. But really, as we glance back through the first three chapters, what we see most of all is praying. It's his heart to God for these people. And I think that in itself helps us to understand the importance of prayer, that it makes up so much of the scripture that we have and of this book that we have. As as Paul prays, his prayer is giving us an understanding of what he desires for the church, for us, for those who are followers of Jesus. And again, it contains a lot of things, but I think maybe some of the most powerful doctrines actually emerge from lives of prayer. I know that there are people who I uh, look up to, who, you know, whether it be uh, Irwin or, or someone who I consider a pastor, and when I go to like leadership meetings, um, he'll be speaking, and sometimes I hear more from him when he's not actually talking about or on a subject but when he's just sharing how he deals with things. You know, he's saying, well, the other day, you know, I met David and we started talking and to hear the interaction of how he interacted with some of the people in his leadership, it gives me insight. I start understanding, oh, wow, that, that's very powerful what he just said there. And to him, it was just talking about an event that happened, but that's how life unfolds, isn't it? That, that sometimes is the power that takes place and... Really, that's kind of what we're seeing here. It's not so much teaching, but praying, but it is teaching us something. And it's having a powerful effect on us. And so understanding that it's a prayer, but understanding that it's actually more than a prayer, it's worship. It's worshiping God, which is another way to worship is through prayer. Yeah, we can worship like we did with Jason in song. We can worship in our offerings and our finances. We can worship in prayer. It's giving respect to God and, and expecting God to be at work in our lives, whether it's to direct us, whether it's to encourage and strengthen us, whether it's to rebuke us, but to be involved. That's giving God worth. That's a form of worship. And in these ideas of power and love, it means having that love turn into a, a well-directed and effective energy in our personal life. What we want is this love that God has to empower our lives. And that's what Paul is really getting to here. He, he starts off when he says, for this reason. And when he says, for this reason, he's referring to all the things that he's talked about, about what God has done for us and the revealed mystery 
and the life that is in Christ. Because of this, and N.T. Wright had in his translation for this verse, I liked it. It says, because of this, I am kneeling down before the Father, the one who gives the name of family to every family that there is in heaven and earth. I, I love that. He gives the name family to everyone. Remember, it's no longer Jew, Gentile. It's now family. Have you ever, you know, had someone in your family marry someone else and now those in-laws are family? Like it or not, right? They're, they're family. And then as time goes on, they become more and more family. And it's just one of those things that, you know, you accept and you see. You know, my son's married. His wife is our daughter-in-law. She's family. She's also a great photographer. And you get to connect to those people in that that new development, that new relationship. But as he's saying there, for this reason, referring to all those things, Paul wants to pray into them all of these wonderful truths. Have you ever been there? It happens with our kids a lot. I want to pray into them all these truths that God has for them. I want them to to be grasped by the power and the the love and the goodness of God. And I'm trying to to pray it into their lives. And that's kind of what Paul is doing. He's trying to pray into them these powerful truths that they would understand. And his prayer reveals the possibilities of what it is to to walk and follow Christ, the experience that we can have with God. And those, those possibilities are magnificent. They're staggering. They, they seem unbelievable, but we get these little tastes of them in our lives at times, and it just beckons us to want more. We get a glimpse of who God is, and it pulls at our heart, and it tells us, this is just a little bit of who I am. I am so much more. And so it drives us to want to know more. It moves us to want to know who God is, because His love moves us. He starts off and he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. You know, we cannot detach our bodies from who we are. And although you don't have to kneel to pray, sometimes it helps. It doesn't help the prayer. It helps you. A lot of times we'll bow our heads, we'll close our eyes. Because it helps us to to focus. And it's amazing the effect our body has on how we think. They say if you're ever angry and you're talking with someone, you should sit with your palms up. Because you can't continue in the same vein of animosity while your palms are up. So next time you're having an argument with your wife or someone, just sit there with your palms up. Maybe it's under the desk. I know I was telling my son who's getting really upset about something. I go, okay, palms up. And he's like, 
you see him like move. It's like I gotta move my hands. Why? I I don't know the the all the reasons why that would affect how I think, but it does. So maybe knees bowed or or heads bowed or or arms raised or a posture of our body helps connect who we are as beings to what it is we're doing. And, and isn't that what life is about? We, we say we're loving God, we say we're living for God, and so we want to have a life that is in line with what we're saying, that's doing the things that we know to be right and what to be true. And, and when there's a, a conflict in how we're living with what we know to be right, it affects us, and essentially our bodies are not doing what we know we should be doing. And so maybe taking a, a, a little... It's like jump-starting a car, you know? You kind of push it, push it, and then pop the clutch. Maybe to pop the clutch in your body, you need to kneel. Maybe you need to bow the head. Maybe you do need to put your palms up. Maybe you do need to raise your hands. Maybe you do need to change your posture so that you can start to align who you are with what it is that you're desiring from God. But he says right there that he... He bows his head. The body is an important part of our whole person. It's not just what we think or just what we feel. And it's good to remember that. I mean, we do it in our relationships. You know, too often my wife is talking to me and I'm looking at my phone. Or if I just look at her, I'm showing up. I'm showing up and I make a difference. She's shaking her head. Yes, that's true. What we do affects who we are and the people around us, the world around us. Paul was not facing a certain direction. He wasn't facing the east. When he bowed his knees, what he was doing, he was facing the Father, wherever he was. When he bowed his knees, it was as if God was before him. It was a sign of reverence. And so it wasn't like, well, I need to make sure I'm praying in a certain direction, doing a certain thing. No, I'm going to bow before God. And I'm going to pray before Him. And there's a little play on words. The word father and the word family that are there, they're, they're very similar. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And it's again, kneeling before the Father, the one who gives the name of family to every family. He's connecting the father to the family. He's giving us that name. He is thinking of God as the father in the larger context, namely the creator of life and all humankind. And again, we know that Paul has been trying to help us to see that there is the new humanity in Christ. And so this idea of the father, the creator, is eliminating the different nationalities, the different ethnicities. And that's, again, part of his desire all along. He's addressing an audience of people who are you know, wanting to know what God is like. And so he is helping them to see he is the God of over all. He, he did this in Acts 17, remember too, when he's talking in Athens and he said to them, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring, are his children. We all are 
a part of who he's created. And so he's given us this name of our family. He's made us into this one people. And so he's pulling us into this place. He, he goes on and he says in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice how many times he's referencing God and he goes, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The essence of his request is that their heart will become a dwelling place for Christ. I think that's probably the most, I don't know, spot on prayer that you can pray for a person is that their heart would become the home of Christ. When you're praying for someone who's struggling in whatever area, probably the most focused prayer is that their heart would be the home of Christ. And the heart is the center of the person. It's the center of the will. It's the center of the intellect. It's the center of our emotions, our drives. Our hopes, our desires, our perspectives, our values. It's the center of who we are. And Jesus desires to take up this permanence there in the center of all these things. This means that he exercises a pervasive influence over everything that makes us who we are. We want Jesus to be involved with everything we do. It's not the church life, the home life, the work life. It's all a life where Christ is at home. It's all a life where God feels welcome and not only feels welcome, but is affecting what we do in every area that we are. And so he's wanting this for them. He's wanting this for us. And of course, you know, this is something we desire. It's something we desire for others. And I think it's something we desire for ourselves. It's what I want for myself. But of course, you know, they and we need help to get to that point. Well, I want, I want Christ to be, uh, you know, pervasive in everything that I do. I, I want Jesus to be the one who affects every area of my life, whether at church, work, or home, or school, or wherever. I, I want that kind of mindset. So how do I get to that place? And he tells us right there. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, it's by faith, but it's also that he prays out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen with power through the Spirit in your inner being. It's his glorious riches that makes the ability. When you think of glorious riches, that's not a term we use, but I, I think of more than enough. Okay, I've got it covered. The first time I, I took Corrine out to dinner, I think it was a dinner, there was, remember those barbecue places, it was called Love's? Yeah. When you're in Love's, the whole world's delicious. Well, I thought, yeah, that'd be a great way 
to you know make an impression, so I took her there, but they were expensive, and I didn't have enough money to really buy a dinner for both of us, so I think. I bought, like, I'll have a salad or something like that. And I think she knew because she saw it and thought it was a lot too, so she was very kind. But, you know, you go to a place and when you're worrying about, oh, no, I don't have enough for this, you're living restrictedly. You're living kind of less than you could. I can't, oh, yeah, get us some appetizers. Oh, yeah, let's get some more drinks. Oh, what do you want? You want anything? You're not living in that abundance as if you... You know, if you just got paid and you have a lot of money, let's go out. I got paid. Okay, yeah, I want an appetizer. Let's get, all, you know, I'm going to get dessert too, whatever. You're going to go for it. Why? Because you've got the money. You, you splurge. Well, how God is going to allow this life where Jesus shows up in us is by his abundance. It's by his ability to splurge in our lives, by his influence over us. Simply put, all the spiritual resources necessary to get where we have to be, he is providing. So we have to ask ourselves, why aren't we there? Second, he says that they were and we are mightily empowered by his spirit. That we are to be empowered through his spirit in our inner being. What is the idea behind the Holy Spirit's power? Is it to work miracles? Is it to raise the dead? What is to be empowered by the Spirit about? It's to choose to do right even when doing right is difficult or painful. To endure suffering, not lose heart. To allow God to walk us through the process of change. To get up in the morning and to look at the world and others through God's eyes and act accordingly. That's the inner man, the inner person that is being strengthened. And so someone does something to you at work or a family member and you are hurt by it and you want to respond in a way that's bitter. I'm not going to comment on them. I'm not going to call them back. I, I don't want to do that. Why? Because I... I'm bothered by them. What they did was wrong. What they, they did was insensitive. What they did bothered me, and I know they know it. And so my response is defensive, and it's responding out of hurt, but then I have this understanding that you aren't supposed to respond or return evil for evil, but return good instead, that you aren't to hold bitterness in your heart. And so you make a choice, even though I'm hurt and even though I was offended, I'm going to act properly. That's being empowered in the inner person. That's being strengthened within that inner 
man that he calls here. You see, what defines you as a person? Is it your feelings? Is it your thoughts? See, there are superficial things and then there are deeper things. We have feelings that are superficial and we have feelings that are very deep. We have thoughts that are superficial. We have thoughts that are very deep. And Jesus comes to activate the deeper person to be able to identify with the kingdom, with the new family. He's wanting to create within us the identity of Christ in how we think about the the important things. So a superficial thing. Well, yeah, you know, the Golden State won the NBA Finals. Okay, yeah, that's a great thing, especially if you live up north. They're all happy about it. That's great, but there's deeper things, right? I think I mentioned this, I don't know if it was last Sunday, where I talked about God doesn't care really who wins the NBA, but he cares about how people act, whether they win or they lose. There's the superficial things, the things that happen uh, on the surface, and then there's the inward things that are a lot deeper and a lot more important. And that's what God is wanting to give power to. And you see, a person like Paul, who was following after God, suffered persecution. He lost his life to this faith that he believed in. But it was the power of who he was that carried him even though his life was taken away. So was he powerless? Or did he actually have the power over his life in how he conducted himself in the situations that he found himself in? And that's where the real power is. That's what God is wanting to empower us with. And that's where he is able to impart to us the riches of his glory, those things that are going to be powerful to us. And and this is fundamental to those who are following Christ, to what spirituality is, that we are able to discern between our persona, just our person, what we present to others, what we perceive ourselves, or how they perceived ourselves to be, all our history and programming and the inner self when the image of God is in us and brought to our awareness. Spirituality is being able to see the difference. The person that you just show shows up and the person you really are. And what happens many times, I think, is we struggle between these two. And we lose the identity of the inner person because of the outer persona. Well, this person, you know, has weaknesses, gives in to fast food, and likes too much coffee, or strong drink or whatever. This person has these things. And we start saying that that is who we are. That is my identity. And spirituality says, no, that 
person that you're seeing there is not the defining person who is going to define your life. There is someone deeper that you need to recognize who is supposed to have the louder voice, who is supposed to have the controlling voice, who is supposed to override the other voices to help us make the better decisions. But where do we begin? I mean, how do you participate in this? And again, it's through faith. You can't achieve this or find our way there on our own. And we'll soon see why. But we we need to recognize that there is a substance in faith that we have to hold on to. That our belief in God, remember, faith always needs something. Our belief in God is a reality that we can bank on. And again, I think so much of our problems is is that we don't see it that way. We, We don't believe it that way. And so when Paul is praying for us here that we would be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, He is wanting us to recognize who we are and to live that life of who we are. Paul speaks a lot more often throughout his writings about us being in Christ than he does about Christ being in us. And it's important to see our individual experience within this larger picture because it's not just you and God. Remember, we talked about Sunday, you, most of the time that it's mentioned in Scripture, it's collective. You are the vine. He is the vine. You are the branches. He's not talking about you individually. He's talking about us as a corporate body. You are the light of the world. Not talking about just you. He's talking about all of us. So most of the time we are in Christ, but of course it's important to recognize that he is also in us. It has to be clear that he is to make his home in those who are followers of him. And, and that is what strengthens and renews our inner being. As verse 17 applies, is what enables us to put down roots into God's love and to be built up and secure an unmovable house. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Rooted and established in love. The essence of the request is that you would enjoy the experiential knowledge of of Jesus' love. He goes on verse 18 and he says, may, they may be rooted and established in love and may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. He wants us to experience the love of Christ and how vast it is. And it almost seems circular in what he's saying because He says that to know love, we must be rooted and established in it. But we have to be rooted and established in it to really know it. But then how do we experience it? First, we have to be rooted and established, but then we have to know it. 
And it's almost like this ongoing season. It's something that you have to be rooted in and you have to experience it and it's going to happen over and over again. We have to recognize that it kind of is a feeding thing. It's kind of like, you know, the the trees provide the oxygen that gives us the air. We breathe in the air that provides the carbon dioxide that the trees are able to use to survive. And it goes on while well, God is giving us love and we're experiencing this love so that it can be seen in our lives. It kind of moves in and through us and it's supposed to. And Paul uses two different metaphors here to describe how we relate to love. One is planted. Okay, it's agricultural, it's stable alive, growing. And the other is construction, foundation, being established, something that can be built on. And when he talks about this, that you might be know the, the, the depth, the height, and all this love that we might experience and established in this love, what, what is the love that he's talking about? It's... Is it my love? Is it my love for others? Is it God's love for me? And it's the love of Christ that he goes on to say is revealed. Throughout Scripture, we see that God's love enlightens. Which could be why John in 1 John says that God is light and then God is love. Because this love is, is meant to enlighten And literally defined, it means to comprehend, that you might grasp, that you might seize or grab. It's a figure of speech, but this grasp on Christ's love is obviously not just intellectual. It's not just something you think about. It's more like us being grabbed by it. And what grabs us is its dimensions. The extension of Christ's love, it's three-dimensional. Space, breadth, length, height, depth. It's vast. But this isn't an attempt to locate its boundaries, but it's actually meant to remove them. It's not saying it it goes up to here. It's meant to say it goes past that. It goes higher than that. It is beyond that. It is far greater than what you can understand, but it is something that is meant to grasp you. And it goes in all directions. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, how how do you fit that together? How do you know something that is beyond knowledge? Because that word to know is the intellect. That you might have an intellect understanding, yet it's not a comprehensive knowledge since it surpasses knowledge. Still we need to know that it's there, that it exists, and that it's moving towards us, that God is working it. We have to be aware of it so that we can start to comprehend it. And... This is one of the things that I've been wrestling to understand and try and figure out. You know, you ever see a situation and you want to know, how do you make it better? You see a person and they're messed up and you go, how do I make them better? 
how do I fix this situation? And here's, you know, if they just stopped this and just started this, they would be better. But then they're in this struggle and they're locked in. And Karina and I have been talking about this a bit lately, about people we know who are, who are locked into these places, whether it's addiction, um, you know, other problem behaviors, where it seems like they're just stuck. And it seems to me that there's this difference between knowing something and comprehending something. It's one thing to have an awareness that God loves me and I need to stop this you know, behavior because it's wrong. And it's another thing to recognize yourself in the situation that... You are not just the thoughts you're thinking. That you are not just an intellect who has an ability to think. That you actually are a person who is bringing those thoughts out. That you are more than the thoughts. That you are actually able to produce thoughts. And not everything you think is true, by the way. Sometimes you have thoughts, you have feelings, and they're not true. They're actually lying to you. Telling you things like maybe God doesn't love you anymore. Or you can't get over this. You've tried, it's hopeless. You're having a thought, but you are not that thought. That you are able to actually separate the things that you think about and the person you are. And if you could comprehend that you have the ability to actually change your thoughts and you have the ability to actually take possession of your life so that you don't continue down the same way. It's almost as if you have to when you're sitting there and you're having a situation and you're saying, oh, I'm going to give in to this, you know, because it's what I always do. I'm going to buy the chocolate donut. And it's as if you could just stop and say, wait a second, and step outside and take a look at yourself and say, you know what? You're having a thought about chocolate donuts, but you could easily have a thought that says, drive past the donut, man. Let it go. And if you can stand outside of those thoughts and recognize that you are a person beyond that, you start to comprehend what is more than just your thinking. Is that making sense? Because we get so caught up in our thinking that we think, well, it's wrong, and I know it's wrong, but I'm still doing it. Well, you're still thinking about it. You're still locked into the 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 thought process and you need to stop it and you need to get outside of that thought process and you need to take yourself outside of that so that you can stop the cyclical behavior. But if you don't step outside and you just say, well, that's just it. This is what I do. This is how I live life. Yeah, I don't know why I always do this. I don't know why this always happens to me. Well, you do know why. You keep making those decisions. And the reason you keep making those decisions is because you are held on to these limited thoughts. It's just something you 
see, but you're not comprehending what is more. And what Paul is wanting us to understand is, you know God loves you because Jesus died for you. Can you comprehend what that means? Can you get outside of the fact that you just know it and can it be something that now takes hold of your life and starts directing who you are and what you do? That you might have a knowledge of the love that is beyond your ability to know. How how can you do that? By comprehending how boundless it is and how powerful it is. We need to know that there is such a thing that it exists. God loves me. But then we need to know that it is more than just what I know. It actually has an effect and is shaping me. I think one of the most powerful things in my life was at a time when I remember thinking, wow, I don't want that anymore. I always wanted that. And now I don't. And it was a understanding that there was a reality taking place that was reshaping who I was. And now I have an awareness of that. Do I have enough awareness to actually start living there? So I don't keep giving in to the habits of my past. That I start reshaping who I am. I know God loves me. But now I see him changing me. And I want to be a different person. And now I'm going to allow that person to start shaping the decisions I make. And it's a life process. It doesn't just, boom, hey, I'm a Christian now. Everything's good. I feel God's in me. You know, when Paul is praying these things in them, Paul is living this out himself. I mean, it's something that is taking place within him as he's desiring it for them. So knowing it keeps us looking at it and keeps us moving towards it. But knowing it at all is so that we can discover really how little we know of it and it'll keep us hungry, wanting more of it. You know, you you go to the beach and you pick up a shell, you know, and it's got a little water in it from the sea and you think, oh yeah, seawater. And and if you try and grasp how how much you can from that little shell and the water that's in it, think, man, this is, man, the seawater, it's so powerful. I love the way it smells and, you know, the salt of the seawater and all this, but that little water in that shell has just a little glimpse of what the ocean is. And so many times we've experienced just the drop of God's love and there is an ocean waiting to be discovered. And it's pulling us towards him. And if we are not aware of it, we can think it's just something we know. Oh yeah, I look at the ocean. It's there it is. It's in the shell. No, no, that's that's not the ocean. That's the ocean. Oh yeah, I know the love of God. I know it. No, no. 
You don't know how high, how deep, how wide it is. You just know that it's there, but it's calling you to more. It desires more from us. And what we gather from the experience is is tiny compared to the love that's available. Christ's love, we are participating in something that's infinitely beyond us. And that's why his love always comes as a surprise. How much he loves me. And, And that'll happen over and over again in our lives. The grace of God will overwhelm us. Why? Because it's so rich. Because it's so deep. Because he is so good. And so the psalmist says, your love is better than life. You see, I I don't want to connect people to living the right life. I want to connect people to loving the right God. Because if I can connect someone to God, God's love is better than life. And they would be willing to give up anything for this love. So instead of telling them, you know what, you should probably give up that lifestyle. I want to connect them to the love of God. And when they taste and see that the Lord is good, the Lord will do the rest. Wow. This is better than I thought. You know what? I need to clean my life up. I need to stop this. You know what? I need to make some changes. You know what? This is what God wants for me and what I want is Him and more of Him. And now it becomes natural and instead of being forced and and controlling, it's something that we have an understanding. And what Paul is really saying in this prayer these verses here is to expand our our understanding, our mental and spiritual vision of the whole range of this divine truth of who God is, his power and his love. He goes on and he says, be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, he just doesn't do anything small. To be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How do you get filled with all the fullness of God? You can't. And he goes, now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in Christ, in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. The essence of this request is that we'd be filled with God And this is as surprising, as radical as it is, because knowing that this love surpasses all knowledge, how is it that we're going to be filled with it? And it does not mean that God's fullness enters us or that we experience God's fullness. What it means is that his fullness, he fills us our capacity in a minuscule way. It, It quickly fills up, but it overflows. It means that out of his fullness, he fills us. God can pour himself into us without being emptied or even diminished. Okay, He loses nothing of himself or his fullness by filling us. We obviously face him again with this mystery. You are filling us. You're not depleted. You are just unending. Good. Love, 
gracious. So, again, can we as people really reach this plateau, this degree of spiritual growth? I don't think that's the concern here. All we need to do is know the direction that we need to move in. So it's not like, have I got it yet? Is am I moving in it still? And stop thinking of it as an end journey and start thinking of it as the journey. I don't have to, to get it right. I get to be a part of it. I don't have to, you know, stop making mistakes. I get to journey with him even in spite of my mistakes. It's a process that we live. And concluding, sorry, this is going long here. Paul concludes this prayer with kind of this doxology. You know, as he says to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Interesting that he mentions the church before he mentions Christ Jesus. You know, it, it seems strange, but it's the point that he's trying to build us up in. That this is a view from the outside, the way God's glory is discovered by the world. How is that going to take place? It's going to be by the visible church, which is God's dwelling, he said in chapter 2, verse 22. That's where God reveals the manifest wisdom, he said in chapter 3, verse 10. So, to him be glory in the church and, of course, in Christ. See, but the church isn't able to explain itself. It always points beyond itself and it points to Jesus. We don't point to ourselves. We point to Jesus. We are part of the body of Christ. And so can we give ourselves the freedom to let the love of Christ enter us? Can we surrender to God's gift, filling us with himself out of his fullness? Can we let all that we have heard be enough for us? If given an experiential knowledge of the love of Jesus for me, it would be impossible to imagine wanting anything more. If I fully understood and grasped this, having Him, we're filled with all the fullness of God. The prayer comes back to where it stopped in, in chapter 1, verse 23, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills everything in every way. This is just his prayer for God's people that we would be taken hold of by the God who loves us, that we would understand his love that is beyond comprehension, that we would actually start to live in this life of faith. So that when you say, I can't do this, I, I, I don't have the ability, you would 
hear another voice that would help you to stop and say, wait, I know about who God is and I understand who God is. And that what He wants from me is to be a part of my life in every area and that includes whatever the trouble is, whatever the difficulty is. That He is not powerless We are not powerless because his riches fill us. Let's pray. Lord, you describe truths in ways that are boundless. You want us to know what is impossible to know. You want us to experience what is beyond our ability to fully fathom. You you want us to see things that are invisible. You want us to live in the reality of who you are. And you've made that possible through Jesus. And because of our faith in Christ, we we are now brought into this family and we now have an identity with you and we want that to shape who who we are, in every area of our lives, God. May we be empowered by your love and may your love empower our lives. Father, may we see ourselves as you see us. May we hear your voice in our soul above every other voice that would tear us down from what you have called us to be. May we understand the depth, the height, the breadth, the width of your love for us. And may we be filled with the fullness of these riches in our inner man, our inner being, so that we can live the life you give in this world and so that you may receive glory in your church, in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.